Today is day six of this September 2023, seven day Sashin. And we're going to take a look at a koan. Case number 89 of the Shoyoroku, the Book of Serenity. Dongshan's No Grass. So let's read the case and then we'll get into some biographical material. Dangshan said to the assembly of monks, It's the beginning of autumn, brothers, and now that the summer training period is over, some of you will go east and some west. But you must go at once to where there is no grass for 10,000 miles. And then after a pause, Dangshan then added, But how can you go to where there is no grass for 10,000 miles? Later, Shishuang said, Go out of the gate and there's grass. Still later, Dayang said, I'd say even not going out the gate, there's grass everywhere. So we have these three masters expressing their understanding, but they're not all together at the same time and place, having a conversation. Dangshan lived from 807 to 856, and Shishuang's years were 807 to 888. They were not only contemporaries, but they were disciples of the same master. And then the third one, Dayang, lived from 943 to 1027. So Shishuang's response might have been expressed, who knows, maybe a few weeks or months later after Dangshan gave his instruction to the monks, while Dayang's would have been some 100 years after that. We don't have time to get into the biography of all three of them, so we'll just focus on Dongshan. And I'll be using Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. And for the sake of clarity, as usual, I'll simplify my reading in places to minimize the number of references to historical places and names, which can make it confusing to the ear. 
Dongshan is one of the most important teachers of the Tang Dynasty and the so-called Golden Age of Zen. He is recognized as the founder of the Kaodong School of Chan. In other words, the Soto School, as it's called in Japanese. And Andy Ferguson begins with a story from Dangshan's youth. He says, As a youth, Dangshan was reading the Heart Sutra and came upon the words, No eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body. And he asked his teacher, I have eyes, ears, a nose, and so on. So why does the sutra say there is none? The teacher was reportedly dumbfounded at the insight revealed by Dangshan, Dangshan's question. And he replied, I can't be your teacher. He then sent the young prodigy to, to study under another Zen master. And at the age of 21, Dangshan took the monk's vows on the famous Mount Song. In the tradition of the Zen school, he then went traveling to visit the great adepts of his time. Mount Song is located in a remote mountain range in northern China. And in Chinese mythology, it's seen as the center of heaven and earth. And what follows is an excerpt from the record of dialogues involving Dangshan. And we're going to begin with an exchange that happened when he was still in his youth. Dangshan first went to see Zen master Nanshuan. At the time, the congregation was working to prepare a feast for the following day in honor of Nanshan's Nanshuan's late master, Matsu. Nanshuan asked the congregation, Tomorrow we will have Matsu's feast, but will Matsu come or not? So Matsu was already dead, and here Nanshuan is asking the monks if Maltu will attend the feast held in his honor. The monks were unable to answer. But then Dangshan stepped forward and said, 
If he has a companion, he'll come. <coughs> if he has a companion, Mao Tzu will come. We can just imagine in doing this, Dong Shan not only demonstrated some real spunk, uh, but he also, he also understood at this young age the interrelationship between a teacher and a student. Only if he had a companion, a student with whom he had worked with, would the late Mao Tzu be at the feast. What we call a teacher and a student the two cannot exist without the other. The same goes with other kinds of dichotomies like right and wrong, up and down, inside and outside. They're interwoven. When Nanshuan heard <clears throat> when Nanshuan heard Dangshan's statement, he approved and said Though this child is young, he's a gem worthy of polishing. To which Dongshan replied, Master, don't crush something good into something bad. So what's he saying? He appears to be saying that a gem, that is, a student, doesn't need polishing, doesn't need refinement. After all, a gem is already perfect, just as it is. Next, Dengshan studied with Guishan. And this next story involves um, quite a long exchange. So rather than go through it line by line, um, I'm going to summarize it in a nutshell. Um, Dengshan tells Guishan a story that he had heard from someone else about a conversation between a monk and the national teacher. So it's a secondhand story that he's pondering. And by the way, a national teacher is, uh, this is an official title given to the teacher to the emperor. So the story goes, the national teacher instructed a monk saying that even inanimate things that is, non-sentient beings, 
expound the Dharma. They embody our true nature. The monk then replied to the national teacher, pointing out that he cannot hear inanimate things. He cannot hear a wall tile. How could a wall tile convey the Dharma? So this monk wasn't buying it. And the exchange ends with the national teacher standing his ground by reciting a line from a sutra. And then when Dongshan finished telling this story to Guishan, Guishan then said, I have this teaching, but one seldom encounters a person who understands it. Dongshan then said, I'm not clear about it. I ask you for instruction about this. To which Guishan lifted his whisk upright into the air and said, Do you understand? A whisk is a teacher accoutrement. It's called a hosu in Japanese, and it's basically a a short staff, um, perhaps made of wood, uh, with a bundle of horse hair or cow hair flowing from the tip. So in this simple act of holding up his whisk in the air, what was Guishan saying? Dongshan said, I don't understand. Please explain it to me, master. Guishan said, The mouth that my parents gave to the world is utterly unable to explain this to you. Then Dongshan said, Is there anyone else of your generation whom you respect and who can explain it? So Dangshan, he's persistent, and he he sounds kind of desperate. He's saying, please, is there someone else? If you can't help me, is there someone else who can help me understand? Guishan then advised Dangshan to go see another teacher, Yunyan, for insight on his question. So Dangshan goes to see him. He relayed to Yunyan the same story about the national teacher and asked, who can hear inanimate things expound Dharma? Who can hear a wall tile a flower, or a cushion expound our true nature. Yunyan said, What is inanimate can hear it. 
what is inanimate can hear it. And what does that mean? Can a, can a wall tile hear a flower? Then Dongshan said, can the master hear it or not? Yunyan replied, if I could hear it, then you could not hear me expound Dharma. Dongshan came back, why couldn't I hear you? And Yunyan held up his whisk and said, can you still hear me or not? So he does the same action as Guishan. Um, we can't really read too much into that and assume there, there's some special meaning. It could be that in both of them raising their whisk, um, it was, just happened to be the object <laughs> that was closest to them that each had on hand. Can you hear it? Dongshan said, I can't hear you. Yunyan said, when I expound Dharma, you can't hear me. So how could you hear it when inanimate things proclaim it? Dangshan then said, What sutra teaches about inanimate things expounding dharma? Dangshan's persistence shows that he was really absorbed in this absorbed in the questioning. Even though he was still looking for an explanation from the teacher, looking outward. Okay, you won't tell me, then what do the sutras say? And interestingly, um, as the story continues, Yunyan then replied by reciting a line from a sutra kind of giving Dangshan what he was asking for, an explanation. But we shouldn't see that as uh, necessarily unskillful. Yunyan was meeting Dangshan right where he was in that moment. So Yunyan said, haven't you seen that in the Amitabha Sutra, it says, the lakes and rivers, the birds, the forests, they all chant Buddha. They all chant Dharma. And upon hearing this, Dangshan experienced a great insight. Everything embodies our true nature. 
trees. Windows, airplanes, birds, toothbrushes, teacups, and wall tiles. Each thing has its place. And that includes us. We have our place. Dongshan then wrote a verse about his insight. How incredible, how incredible, inanimate things proclaiming Dharma is inconceivable. It can't be known if the ears try to hear it. But when the eyes hear it, then it may be known. Hearing with the eyes, seeing with the ears. It sounds like he had experienced some kind of a synesthesia. A union of senses. The text continues with various other dialogues involving Dangshan. But instead of getting into those, uh, we'll go to the case, Dangshan's No Grass. Again, <clears throat> Dangshan said to the assembly of monks, It's the beginning of autumn, brothers, and now that the summer training period is over, some of you will go east and some west. But you must go at once to where there is no grass for 10,000 miles. Then he added, but how can you go to where there is no grass for 10,000 miles? Dating back to Zen's Chinese roots, the traditional training period was three months long and it was held twice a year. And for the length of the training period, the monks would pretty much stay within the enclosure of the monastery and practice together for 90 days.
And in bidding the monks goodbye, as the period of training ended, and as they were about to disperse and set off in different directions, Dongshan said, you must go at once to where there is no grass for 10,000 miles. What is this place of no grass? This koan is rich with subtle meaning. But if we were to interpret it simply from the vantage point of the context, we could see that Dangshan was offering parting advice to the monks as they were about to leave. Leaving the monastery and returning to everyday life. Some perhaps going to their hometowns, others going off on pilgrimage. And they had just completed three months of intensive Zen training. By that point, they would have cultivated a significant level of absorption in their practice. Now go at once to this place of no grass. And sometime after Dongshan had given this instruction to the assembly, Shishuang said, Go out of the gate, and there's grass. So no sooner than you step foot out of the monastery gate, you're going to find grass. Is he saying that as soon as you go into the world, you're going to face all the challenges that come with everyday worldly affairs? Including working with thoughts, attachments, cravings, delusion of all kind. How can you bring your awareness into the life that you're living? Perhaps we could um, substitute grass for 
weeds or dandelions, which we've been conditioned to regard as unsightly and unacceptable. Our lawn needs to be perfect. Although weeds and dandelions get a bad rap. Each one of us has to work our way through the weeds or the grass in order to experience this this place of no weeds, no grass. And then, much later on, Dayang chimed in, and he said, I'd say, even not going out of the gate, there's grass everywhere. So forget about going beyond the monastery gate. Grass is everywhere, inside and outside. How are you going to work with that? You know, the the reference to grass in this koan um, is is intriguing. It's something that the student working on, it needs to decipher. And there can be more to it than mere advice to the monks. When I first read this koan, it reminded me of a time about 15 years ago when I traveled to China and visited some temples. If you've ever traveled to China and visited a temple or just seen photos, you'd know that the temple design, the, the landscape of the temple, the grounds that sur- immediately surround it, don't include grass. The 
the temple I went to was on uh, a famous mountain, Mount Ume, located in the Sichuan province, not far from Shangdu, the city of Shangdu. And I was there as mainly as, as a professor leading uh, a, a group of students on a study abroad program. And we visited a bunch of World Heritage Sites, um, including uh, this mountain. So this particular temple on the mountain involved a long trek upwards. The trail went through a thick forest. But once you got to the temple, the temple grounds themselves were barren, very, very simple and stark in appearance. There was a spacious courtyard, and it had a floor made of tile, stone tile. And there wasn't a single blade of grass in that courtyard sticking up between the tiles, let alone much greenery. Even though it was in a very remote location, surrounded by forest, it actually had a feel similar to our courtyard here at Chapin Mill. Which no doubt uh, was part of the design inspiration. So... What does Dayang mean in saying that the grass is even inside the gate, not just outside? With each master having their say, we're left with this imagery of grass and no grass. What is this place? The mystic poet Rumi said this, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul 
lies down in that grass. The world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase, each other, don't make any sense. This place, this field, is not off in some faraway land. It's right where we are. Right here. We'll stop and recite the four vows. <clears throat> 